Well, good morning, everybody. Um, certainly welcome, again, if you're here in person. Welcome if you're online. Welcome if you're in Dwell. We had a good time opening up there today, talking about snow and good things. Um, this is the last week, our final week of this series on prayer that we've called the language of the soul. And we started it this year because we feel like prayer is such a central aspect to both our life as a church and also the Christian life. And I also understand that like, uh, statistically these days, not everybody is able to attend church each and every week. And not everybody is able to, to sort of catch up on all of these things. And so as we get into this last aspect of prayer today, I just wanted to begin by doing a little bit of a brief recap of the last few weeks. And I've gotten a lot of feedback on these things. I feel like it must be resonating, not necessarily my teaching per se, but, but I feel like there's a felt need in the community for these aspects of, of prayer. And so as we begin, I just want to remind you, we're, we're working sort of off a book by a guy named Pete Grieg, and the book is called How to Pray, A Simple guide for normal people. So it's probably below all of our level. But you know, if somebody's just starting out, they could get that. And we're really just sort of taking this acronym from it. You could go and read it and you'll say like, wow, Dave and Dan didn't say anything about that. And that's because we wanted to afford you the opportunity to learn even more beyond these things. But as we began, we began um, with this. We said the first P in pray is this, this component of pause right? It's this moment to sort of, sort of capture what we're doing. We, we grounded this in Psalm 3 that begins with, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me on every side? Many are saying of him, God will not deliver him. And we invited that as we begin to pray, we recognize that there are all sorts of messages, all sorts of expectations, all sorts of anxieties or pressures on us when we find that time to pray, things that will tug us in different directions. And so we open our prayer with a time of pause and centering. And just like the children shared with us this morning, not only does this follow the Psalms, it actually follows the way that Jesus taught us to pray when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, and he begins with our Father who art in heaven, which is a great way to begin a prayer because it reminds us and it puts us in a posture of reflecting on this reality that as we begin to pray, we stop and we understand that we have a, a Father in heaven that we need to reconnect with. And so let's just take a moment to pause and to move through that. Now, now, the next, after we've centered ourselves, and I said it took me 48 minutes one time, the next thing we do is we rejoice. And so we talked, we grounded this in Psalm 29. It begins with, ascribe to the Lord, all you heavenly hosts. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And this word ascribe is sort of a synonym for the word re rejoice, but it is to, to give to God those things that are God's. It's to begin our prayer after pausing with thanksgiving and gratefulness. And so I picked out seven words. Can you remember them? I don't know if I can either, but I'll do my best. Uh, and so from Psalm 29, from this ascribe, we said we begin to show our, our, share our gratefulness to God, number one, for our adoption. First and foremost, the fact that God chose you and me to bring into God's family, that God was, was finding us wherever we were and said, I want that one, and I want that one, and I want that one. That is the joy on God's face when God looks at you 
And when God looks out into this world and says, I want that one too, and I want that one too, because God is bringing us in to God's family. The second thing we rejoice or we ascribe or we're grateful for or even our sufferings or our struggles, right? Because we know that in those are the times when we develop perseverance, we develop character, we absolutely, actually, truly grow. We thank and we rejoice with God for the church. This gift of sort of broken, sort of messy, but you want to know what? Like we're here with one another. You can look around and the people that you're, you're, you're touching shoulders with are people who want to be a part of your life, and want to be a part of your journey with God. We thank God for revolutionaries and radicals. We're going to hear from one of those today. Those, those prophetic voices in our midst that call us out maybe of our comfort and lead us down new paths and new journeys. I is for our identity. Thank you, God, for the individual that you have made me, the specific gifts that you have uh, imparted to me, whether it's the gift of faith or, or other gifts that we can use to serve the world. So thank you, God, for making me who I am. B is for blessings. We thank God for the blessings and, and all the wonderful things. Some of you are so delighted that there's snow outside today because you're a skier and others are like, oh, we're going to skip that one today. But we have so many things to be thankful for. I begin almost all of my prayers, Lord, with, uh, dear God, thank you for the gift of life and breath. I don't want to take that ever for granted, just that simple blessing. And last, as we, the E was enthroned, because that's how Psalm 29 ends, we recognize that amidst all the chaos of our world, we choose to believe that God remains on the throne. And whatever may come, God will be in control. Now, the next one is A for ask. And Dan covered this last week. Oh, oh and, and of course, the rejoice thing also falls in line with, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So it's as though Jesus knew what he was doing when he was teaching us to pray too. And last week, Dan talked to us about this notion of ask. And he says, a lot of times in our prayers, we have these two gives, right? We have the Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give us the things that we need or forgive us for the things that we've done or we've failed to do. Psalm 51 says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Create in me a new heart, or create in me a clean heart, O God. It's this, this asking God to give us the things that we need. Lead us not into temptation. Give us wisdom and discernment as we go out into this world. Give us the things that we need. And so that follows the Lord's Prayer as well. And today we're going to look at the fourth aspect of this. But as we get into that, we're leading all the way up, friends. We're leading to Psalm 139 today. You can read that in your free time if you want to tune me out. But, but we're going to get there. But I have to kind of like ask this question before we begin. Here's the question. is like, why do we need a series on prayer? I, I mean, why do we, like, we, we've been taught the prayer before. It seems like it's one of the, the basics of, of all of our faith. Why did we even need to do a sermon series on prayer? Well, the reality is, and you'll see this kind of, the, the chart on top is a barna poll of Christians, uh, the number of Christians who would say that they pray regularly. You can see that it's going down. And actually, this is an optimistic one. This is from North America. There was another poll done in the UK that said only 38% of Christians would say that they pray on a regular basis. That's compared to 52% of people from other faiths that pray on a regular basis. And so that got me wondering, like, so I start Googling, like, what top 10 reasons Christians don't pray? 
And, you know, he came up with all kinds of different reasons. No time, right? Don't know how. Or, like, God doesn't need to hear my prayers. God knows what I need anyway, right? And I looked at through all these lists, and a lot of times they just kind of repeat themselves. But I kind of thought about it, and I said, you know, no time. I mean, the reality is if something is important in our life, if something is valuable to us, we make time for it, Right? Don't know how. Well, but again, and this isn't a guilt trip, but again, like, if there's something important to us that we want to know how to do, we've got YouTube. Like, we can find out how to do just about anything. If it's important to us, we can figure it out. And God knows what we want already. Well, yeah, but we know that God has told us to come before him with all of our needs. I think in reality, at the base of all of this is just a a sense or a feeling by a lot of people, maybe not everybody, probably not everybody, But the root of all of these things is just this thought that, like, I'm not really sure that prayer works. I mean, you you know what I'm saying? Like, don't nod your head because the person next to you will be like, you're crazy. But the reality is, I think, like, no time. Like, you've got time to do, like, all these things. I think it comes maybe from this place that's just wondering, like, I'm not really sure prayer works. Because this decline, I don't know if you can throw the the chart up there again, this decline in prayer is happening at the exact same time that there is this rise in the market or the industry for meditation, for contemplation. People are hiring spiritual guides. They're downloading apps. They're paying for subscriptions. They want something of spirituality. They want to to somehow connect. They want to learn how to pray. But it's, it's us that are going to, and it's like, maybe it just doesn't work. Well, I think we think that because we've missed something. Let me see if I can share an illustration with you. I don't know how to use the pedals. Okay, I don't know the rest. I did. Okay, you get it though, right? Like you kind of recognize that just a little bit. You get the idea of it. So I don't play the piano. I learned that when I was a freshman in high school because I was in the drum line and I was in the pit and they learned it on the marimbas and the girls who played the marimbas were cute and so I decided that I wanted to learn what they know. But you, you hear that and you're like, oh, I recognize that. I, I can see that he's putting most of the notes in the right order and things of that. But you also know sort of in your soul like there's something missing there, Right? Like, like that sounds like something, and that's cool, but there's, like, there's an emptiness to it. There's a flatness to it. It's as though all the dimensions aren't present. And I would suggest that that is, is an illustration sometimes of our prayer lives and why we think that things don't work. Because sometimes our prayer lives can tend to be only two-dimensional instead of three. 
The two dimensions, we've already talked about them, is, is I mean, there's the pause, but then there's the, the giving thanks and gratitude, the rejoicing to God, and then there's the asking God for things. And we see how this follows the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, pause. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, and then there's this last part, Right? There's this last part that we're just like, for there's kingdom, power, and glory forever. And we just run away. But what if that's like one of the most important parts? What if that is like a critical component of the prayer itself? Why is it that so many people are longing for, for some sort of connection through meditation, through contemplation, through all of these different things in our world? I think it's because they understand that through that practice, they understand there will be a transformation in themselves. They are trying to, they understand that there is something wrong and they are trying to find a, a, a connection to their real or truer selves. They believe that through meditation, they believe that through contemplation, they are going to receive a benefit or they will change themselves. And I would suggest that this is this final aspect of prayer that sometimes we miss. We thank God for things, we ask God for things, but we neglect this last portion of yielding to let God do God's work on us. Let me share a, a quote from one of these rebels I spoke of earlier. Shane Claiborne, who, who started The Simple Way and now uh, has something called Red Letter Christians, they, they do what Jesus said, which is crazy. But he says, prayer is not so much about convincing God to do what we want God to do as it is about convincing ourselves to do what God wants us to do. That's a little small, so let me say it again. Prayer is not so much about convincing God to do what we want God to do, right? Which in some ways, right? And I realize this is a pretty poor way of looking at it, but like we are grateful to God and then we ask God for the things through our limited scope and our limited understanding and our limited vision that this God is what we want to do. We are in need of financial help. We want someone to be healed. We want a relationship to be restored. All of the problems that we see from our perspective, we ask God and we want God to do something about that. And then we kind of move on. But Shane Claiborne says prayer is less about getting God to do or convincing God to do what we want God to do. And prayer in and of itself is more about convincing ourselves to do what God wants us to do. And so this last portion of the prayer, this last word that we're going to look at, this idea of yielding, is our notion that after we have shared our gratitude, after we have asked God for things, we now spend time reflecting on what is God now saying to me? What is God inviting me to do about this? How is God inviting me to be a part of the answer to my prayers? Shane Claiborne actually has a book called Becoming the Answer to Our Prayers. And it comes through this process then of yielding. Now, this might be why our prayers are a little messed up because we don't like yielding today, do we? There used to be a pretty clear line, a pretty clear delineation in our society about those people to whom we would yield, right? 
If you were a doctor, you would probably, for a certain period of time, be able to understand that if somebody came in and you gave them a diagnosis, they would do what you told them to do, or at least they would trust that you are a person with knowledge and authority, and you can tell what's wrong, and they're going to go out and probably take your advice. Is that, is that fairly true? Are there any doctors? Is it still that way? Or is it like, well, I looked on WebMD, and I looked on this website, and I think I have this. Will you do this right? There's, there's, this, there's this thing now. Or if you're a teacher, like there used to be a time, if I got in trouble and my teacher wrote a note home, my parents yelled at me. Now, if a teacher writes a note home about the child, who gets yelled at? The teacher, right? I mean, that's not all across the board, but I mean, there's an understanding that there's been a breakdown in sort of these, these things of authority. Like we used to, like politicians, right? Like it's crazy. Like the number of people who don't want to vote anymore because they just don't feel that they can trust the people who are supposed to have the knowledge and the authority. And so in our culture, a notion of yielding, or as the Bible says, submitting is not something that comes natural to us. Look at how James writes it. He says, submit yourselves then to God. And then he writes on later. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Do you see how there's a little bit of a difference there? There's this notion now, it's like, wait, wait, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and God, please answer this prayer, and God, please answer this prayer. And, and James says, whoa, 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 you forgot about that last part. You forgot about that after you've given all these things, which is great. Rejoice and ask. 100% do that all the time, but don't forget the last aspect, which is to yield and recognize that God now may want to do a work in you. We talk in our society all about thoughts and prayers, and then other people say, like, it's time to do more than thoughts and prayers, and, and I'd say it's both. It's absolutely thoughts and prayers, but then it's that time of yielding and listening. So turn to Psalm 139 if you've got an opportunity to do this. Psalm 139, it's going to be on the screen, it's really long, we're going to read through the whole thing, just because we can but there's something that I noticed because I read an article that identified it for me about the psalm that I might not have noticed before. You see, we don't yield to authority if we suspect or, or if the authorities are suspect, but there's something about yielding to God. It's something about this last part where we say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory that it, it tells us about these three different attributes of God. That God is omniscient, which means God knows everything, right? That God is omnipotent, which means that God has all power over all things. And also that God is omnipresent, which means that God is in all places at all times. This is a theological understanding of who God is. Now look here at Psalm 139. It begins by saying this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. The psalmist is identifying God's omniscience, that God knows everything. Does that make sense? 
before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So after the rejoicing and the asking, which we absolutely should do, we take this step of reverence and yielding and submitting to, to say, but God, you know more than I know. You, you don't have that thing where I don't know what I don't know because you know everything. And so there's this recognition of God is omniscient and knows all things. So whatever I'm asking for, God, now at this point, I submit to your will. But then it goes on. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can, or where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast because God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times you cannot hide from God how far could I go where could I go from your presence if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me even the darkness will not be dark to you the night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you and so we we then ground ourselves in not only God's omniscience God knows everything but also that God's omnipresent and then last look at where Psalm 39 139 goes there for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the one who made me, God. You made everything, including me. And so at the end, at the last point of our prayer, we say, okay, okay, these are the things that I see, God, but I recognize that your plan is bigger than my plan, that your knowledge is bigger than mine, that your presence, you are all places, places that I've never been to, places that I've never experienced or seen, the, you know, in the depths and in the heights. And now it's like, and you've created, you created even me, God. And so there's a moment where I yield because you are absolutely high and loftier and more wonderful than I can understand. I know your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden in you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, let's just, just for the last couple of minutes, let's just put all of these things together and see where we end up. Do you see what we're trying to do is we're trying to help you understand a process of prayer and we're trying to ground these in scriptures so that when you have trouble, when you're struggling, when you're trying to figure out where to go, we've given you Psalm 3 as a place where you pause. Psalm 29 is a place where you rejoice or ascribe. Psalm 51 is a place where you can go when you want to ask. And now Psalm 139 is that final step where you say, okay, I need to remind myself in the midst of a culture, in the midst of an identity that doesn't like to submit, that doesn't like to yield, I'm going to take some time to meditate on this reality. That God, you are so much bigger than I am. That your plan is so much bigger than my plan. And by doing that, we end with this. All right. I'm going to skip a section in there. There's a whole point behind that. You can email me about it later. But I'm going to skip to the end. And then there's this sort of mantra, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is how we should like end all of our prayers. God, I love you so much. I thank you for all of these things. It's so wonderful. God, I do need help here. I do need my daily bread. I do need forgiveness. And Lord, please lead me away from temptation. Lead me not into temptation. All of those things. And God, now in this last moment, I'm asking you to see if there's any, to, to reveal to me if there's any place that you want me to turn. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Where are these askings coming from? Where are all these things coming from? Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way me. And then God, guide me along a new path. You see, because what this does then is it transforms prayer from just a two-dimensional thing, just a sort of flat song that's like, yeah, I can make that out. It's cute. It's fun to do every now and then. And it makes it an entire livelihood, a, a symphony, if you will, of it's not just about me telling God things, it's now God guiding me into this process. We do have one more point. Amen. You gotta, you gotta stop with amen, right? That's how we close all of our prayers. It's from the Hebrew, emunah, meaning faith or belief, or from ha, mm, ha, amin, <laughs> ha amin, I need Dan up here. Ha amin, meaning to trust or to confide, and they all share that same root of, of amen. It's sometimes translated, may it be so, or so be it. It's kind of like that, that, that ending point at the end. And I would just like today, maybe we could translate it this way. When we say amen, it's like, okay, God, you and me, let's do this. Not God, just you do it, but God, let's do this together. Because the ending of prayer is God leading us out into those places where Jesus is like, hey, there are people who are hungry who need something to eat. There are people who are thirsty and they need something to drink. There are people who are, are naked and need clothing. There are people who are sick and need um, um, <laughs> care. There are people who need a place to be invited in. They're strangers. There, there are people who are prisoners and they need someone to visit them. This is how Shane Claiborne puts it in his book. He says, that's the beautiful mystery. We have a God to, who chooses to need us. We have a God who doesn't want to change the world without us. Rather, we have a God who longs to cooperate with us, to allow us to fail and flounder, and who promises to make up for our shortcomings, but nonetheless wants us. You see, this is that last aspect of yield. God, I've done a lot of talking. God, I, I've told you all of these things. And now, God, I want this prayer not to be something that just changes you or changes the circumstances around me. I want this prayer to be something that changes me. And so in these final moments, I will say, for yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory. So let's do this. Amen. Let's pray. God, as I believe Dan said or others have said before, there was something about the way your son Jesus prayed that made the disciples say, teach us. Teach us how to do this. And God, I don't think it was just the way he prayed. I think it was the life that he lived coming out of that prayer. A life when even in the darkest of times, he could say, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. So God, as we embark on this journey of 2023, 
as we want to see change and transformation in our church, in our city, in our community, and in our world, God, we, we cry out to you on behalf of all the families who lost loved ones this week in mass shootings. We, we, we cry out on, on behalf of those families who, who lost loved ones due to abuse of power. God, we cry out on behalf of all of those who are lonely, who are strangers and haven't been invited in, who are hungry and need something to eat, who are thirsty and need something to drink. Lord, those who are sick and have no one to care for them, those who are in prison, who are in chains, who, who can see no way out and they need someone to visit them. And God, as we cry out to you, now we invite you to speak to us. We yield our lives. We surrender all so that we may become the answer to our prayers. Through your power, through your might, and through your Holy Spirit working in our lives, we thank you that for some reason that is crazy to us, you have chosen to make a difference in this world through people like me and everyone around. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.